We are going to be chatting today. I wanted to uh, just discuss with you a little bit about the deception of appearances, right? The deception of appearances. This is the second to last sermon of the series, Walking by Faith. Next week, I'd like to welcome you as we look at the life of Joseph and we talk about making the best out of every opportunity, right? Giving glory to God in every circumstance. You, 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 I really hope that you're here. I'm excited about that message. I also want to welcome you after that. We're going to look at the desert and desert experience of Israel. We're going to go through a, a series called Lessons from the Desert. Lessons from the Desert. So I'd like to welcome you to get the word out. We're going to have, um, God willing, the, the podcast or the, the sermons online as well so that you can revisit them um, and, uh, and just continue to be about the word of God. But today I want to talk to you about the deception of appearances. Now, if you've lived long enough, you've been duped before, right? If you've lived long enough, you have been deceived because you thought, you know, something was one thing, but it really turned out to be another, right? Amen? Everybody's been there, done that, right? Well, several years back, my wife and I were in our home, and we had a couple young adults that knocked on our door. And they offered us a bottle of degreaser, right, for your kitchen appliances and things. If you know anything about me, you know that I border on obsessive-compulsive. And a bottle of degreaser is exciting for me. (laughs) It is. I was glad. But guess what? They weren't just giving me a bottle of degreaser. No. That was just a way to get in the door. They were actually, just shocking to me, trying to sell me a vacuum cleaner. Right? A, A Kirby vacuum cleaner, I believe it was. And I was shocked for two reasons. Number one, I can't believe people still go door to door to sell a vacuum. I was like, wow, I can't believe that's still happening. Secondly, I was shocked because it was obvious to me that our house was hardwood floors. The whole house. But still, they're ready to sell me a supposedly on sale vacuum for $2,300. That was also shocking to me. It's as if they didn't know how much I pay for our vehicles. So I'm going to pay $2,300 for a vacuum, right? You know, we've been there before, right? Right? Maybe, ladies, you can relate to this. I know my wife could relate to this. Maybe you've been invited to come hang out. You know, it's just a fellowship between ladies. And then when you walk in the, in the house, you've just walked into the Mary Kay convention of the universe, right? Right? Followed by the cutting-edge titanium Tupperware convention of the universe, right? And you're, the first thing, you're like, oh, no, I've been duped. What's the cheapest thing of the catalog so, on the catalog so I can get out of here, right? Because you know if you don't buy something, you're going to be like Judas in their eyes, right? You know what I'm talking about? Just that, it's just not right. I don't even let my wife go to those things. I tell her, no, you cannot. Don't even know. It's an absolute never, right? No to Mary Kay in Jesus' name, right? So, um, so I, you know, it just sometimes, you know, certain things are not really what they appear to be. And, uh, you know, it could be awkward for a moment, but it could be more serious in just a moment, right? It could be more serious. Some things are just awkward for just that moment, makes us feel uncomfortable. But sometimes, if we continue to be duped by appearances or not pay attention to things, we can end up in some serious situations, some harmful situations, paying the price for not having discernment and entering into places or going into a place because of the deception of appearance or being duped. Are you with me? Are you following? Today, I want to talk about that. The problem with appearances in the walk of faith. See, the reality is this. 
that you and I are called by God to walk by faith, right? To follow him. And this path that he's laid out for you and I to walk in is a difficult path sometimes. The Bible does say, if I recall correctly, pick up your cross and follow me. And picking up the cross doesn't feel comfortable. It's an imagery of suffering for Jesus. So yes, my brothers and sisters, there are times in the walk with the Lord where God's called us to hardship and to suffering and to pain and to some hard things. But there's a wonderful reward when we get to the end of this thing, right? And the, and the issue is, is as we're walking this and picking up our cross, you and I have to know that the lust of the flesh, the things of the world, and the enemy of our souls, they're going to present options for us to say, hey, we don't have to continue on this road. And sometimes, let me just say this, the enemy knows how to present his alternative plan as a blessing from God. Can I get a witness? Right? Sometimes as we're doing what God calls us to do, the enemy sends a distraction that looks like actually a blessing from God when it really is the deception, a deceptive uh, thing, an appearance that is capturing us and keeping us from the will of God. To walk by faith means that we're going to be attentive, means that we're not going to be duped by appearances, but we're going to continue on the path and be aware of the fact that the enemy will constantly look for ways to, to get us to sidestep. Are you with me so far? Let's go to Genesis chapter 13 and let's read there and let's see, uh, let's learn about the deception of appearances, the price of deception, the deception of appearances, what we must do in order not to be deceived or to fall by appearances and and uh, what are some of the consequences there genesis 13 1 through 13 we're going to read there the word says this then then abram went up from egypt he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold and he went on his journey from the south as far as bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between bethel and ai to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot, also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, and they might, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife or conflict between the herdmen of Abram's livestock and the herdmen of Lot's. The Canaanites and the Parasites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. For if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I'm, I'm asking for you to, uh, your spirit to take over at this point in every single way.
over our hearts and our minds. Communicate your word. So vital that we don't fall prey to appearances. So vital that we walk by faith and not by sight. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here you have the story of Abraham and Lot, right? Number one, remember that Abraham is called by God to leave everything behind, and he believes God. He leaves everything behind that he knew, everything he knew, his family, his land, because God said, I want you to leave this land and I'm going to take you to another land where I will bless you and prosper you and make you a father of many nations. Now, this call was for Abraham, but somehow in the whole process, the Bible doesn't give us the details. We know that Lot goes with Abraham. Do you see that? And so Lot also, in a sense, makes a commitment to walk away from what he knows, to walk away from what he has, because he believes whatever Abraham must have told him. Maybe Abraham shared with him the promise. Maybe Abraham told him what God said to him. And Lot was amazed and filled with faith about it. Maybe they had such a close relationship that Abraham just brought him with him. Who knows what the details are, but we know that Lot takes a leap of faith with Abraham. He leaves his land to go wherever God leads Abraham. Isn't that incredible? Now, in the whole process, God just blesses Lot and Abraham in such a way that the blessing is beginning to stir up some conflict amongst each other. Because their herds are just too big for the land to be able to maintain both of them. Now, can you imagine the blessing of God over Lot and Abraham? That a land cannot maintain them. At one point, Abraham even said, hey, look, you, you go to the east and I'll go to the west. Can you imagine how big, how massive this group of people were? That they had to separate in such a way? So Abraham says to Lot, Lot, hey, I, I, let, let's, I want there to be peace between you and I. And in honoring that relationship, he lets Lot choose. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. right. And Lot, what does the Bible tell us about Lot? How did Lot make his decision? Huh? He saw. Well, Lot saw that the land looked good. There were resources there. Had a couple of fast food chains, Subway, Mickey D's. He was sold, right? Right? No, the land was fruitful. There was resources. Lot, Lot saw that the land was good, and so he chose that land. Interesting enough, what do you see Lot not doing? What is something you don't see Lot doing in this portion of Scripture? Huh? Going to God. Is this a major life decision? It's a massive life decision. By the way, Lot left in faith with Abraham. It wasn't a promise to Abraham, or, or to, uh, excuse me, it wasn't a promise to Lot. It was a promise to Abraham. Lot left with him. Do you think that maybe this is a good point to say, gee, God, I came because of Abraham, and, uh, you know, I really don't know where to go unless you lead me. The Bible records nothing about Lot inquiring of the Lord. The Bible just records this one thing. He saw the land, that it looked good, and he went. Number one, the deception of appearances. We will fall prey to the deception of appearances if we don't develop habit, a habit of inquiring of the Lord for our life's decisions. Are you with me? 
we will always fall prey to the deception of appearances if we're not developing a habit of seeking the Lord for our decisions. My friends, you and I have to be a people who are constantly humble, seeking the Lord. Even the decisions that seem so plain and so obvious. God is pleased when we say, hey God, I am turning to you. I'm asking you to give me some guidance here. It seems to me this is the right way, but I want your direction because your word does say that, that uh, you know, there's a path that may seem right to a man, but the end thereof leads to death and destruction. You ever read that scripture before? There's a level of humility that God expects us to have that with major life decisions and with every decision that we kind of we turn to God and say, God, if your presence stays, I don't want to go anywhere. If your, present, if your presence goes, I have no desire to stay in this place. And there's got to be this level of humility that Jesus in our lives and, and dependence, just like Jesus who says, I don't do anything unless I see my Father in heaven doing, doing it. I remember sitting in, a, in a, a pastor's conference, my wife and I, and some question, I don't know, maybe you can help me with what, how the question was worded, but the question was, how do you make decisions? How do you know what God wants you to do? And the, and the gentleman said something to the extent of, well, I just do it. And if it works, then God wanted me to do it. And I was like, so what if it doesn't work? Who suffers? It's not just me. Can you imagine as a pastor, if I made decisions, just I just do it. And if it worked, well, the Lord wanted me to do it. You know, there is a sense that God doesn't give us, you know, all the details of everything. Yes. But there's got to be this level of humility in our lives, this level of understanding, this dependence that says, God, I don't want to take one step without you leading me. And look, that's not just for pastors. That's for husbands. I don't want to say one word to my wife unless your word, this word is the word that you call me to speak over her. I don't want to say anything to my children that's going to be damaging. God, I want you to lead my words as I parent them. Are you with me? We have to learn to to develop habits of seeking the Lord by being in his word, by being in prayer and saying, Lord, what would you want me to do in this situation? Lot, according to the scriptures that we have, did not seek the Lord. Instead, he saw and made a decision according to what he saw. What happens when we make decisions according to what we see? What happens when all our decision-making is led simply by what we can touch and see and what we can feel and what appears to be right? This happens. Making decisions according to what we can see leads to compromise and compromise leads to strongholds okay let's continue to read the scripture genesis 14 8 through 12 as you go there you'll find that here is lot by the way lot knew that when he moved to sodom that it was a wicked city the bible does say that lot pitched his tent even in sodom and so in other words it's clearly stating the reality that you know he went as far as sodom even though it was extremely or in, uh, wicked it was wicked increasing in wickedness right lot had an awareness of how wicked sodom was it wasn't like he arrived and was like oh well, I, everything's okay here these people are righteous bible doesn't tell us that 
There had to be an awareness in Lot's life. He lived with righteous people. He knew godly standards. He knew what was going on, and still he remained there, right? So now, in this portion of Scripture we're about to read, Sodom is involved in a conflict with several kings, and they go to war with other kings. There's four kings fighting with five kings. I'm going to read verse 8 through 12. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Seboim, the king of Bela, if you're looking for names, here they are, marched out and drew up their battles line in the valley of Sidim against all these kings, right? So all these kings go to war. What happens is, to make, to not read those ridiculous names, is that Sodom loses, right? Now we're going to go to verse 11. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their foods. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. What do you notice in that scripture? Talk to me. I don't get offended. Who did they carry away? They carried away Lot. They carried away Lot and his possessions. He reco- oh, so uh, let's go to the other slide, Lauda. The- oh, okay, maybe that's... Okay, so the scripture I just read was verse 12. I'm going to read that verse again. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Let me tell you. Uh, let me, can I speak to the young people really quickly? I know you hear this a lot. And oftentimes you're like, oh, probably like, I don't want to hear that again. But the company you keep will ultimately affect you. You will have consequences by the people that you keep around you. That is inevitable. Now let me speak to you adults. Listen, the company you keep will also affect you. Amen? It will have negative consequences on your lives as well. Here is, here is a lot. He is basically saying, I know that I live amongst the wicked people. But, you know, I'm going to live here. I'm going to do my own thing, acting as if it weren't it wasn't going to bring consequences to his life. But it did because he was taken over. His possessions was taken. His people were taken just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you something. I don't know how many times I've dealt with a case or an individual who said I was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. I was just the wrong place. At the wrong time. And now I'm dealing with serious consequences. The deception of appearances leads us to compromise. And and, and when when we compromise, there are going to be consequences there. So the scriptures go on. And it it teaches us this. That uh, Genesis 14, 14 uh, through 16. Abraham went to save his nephew Lot. And, uh, you know, he... He won over their possess- he, he won them back per se. The scriptures read this way: When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the three hundred and eighteen trained men born in his household and went in pursuit of as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He reco- he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the woman and the other people. Then Genesis fourteen twenty one through twenty four. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. In other words, here's the king of Sodom saying, you know what? You've done a good thing. You can keep all the goods. Just give me the people. And Abraham, 
I believe knowing how wicked Sodom is, understanding what's going on, and made a, he made a covenant with God. The word of God says, verse 22, but Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and I have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol, and Memra. Let them have their share. Now listen to what's going on. Abraham rescues Lot from this situation. Right, by the way, Lot is taken captive, right? Because of compromise, Lot is taken captive. Compromise will always lead to strongholds in our lives, right? But Abraham now saves Lot from this stronghold, literally, in our lives, what I'm trying to get us to understand is that if we allow compromise, if we live with compromise in our lives, that compromise will lead to strongholds. Now, let me just say there's a, there's a difference between Lot's time and our time. Lot made a choice to live among wicked people. Now, the question for us is not whether we're living amongst the wicked people. The question for us in our culture is... How much wickedness are we allowing in our home? You see, we are so private that we can live next door to our neighbor and not know who they are. But we can bring the world into our home through the internet, through the TV, through the media, and whatever we entertain ourselves with. I don't know how many times I've talked to a family that said, you know, we, had a, uh, uh, we made a commitment, Pastor, to not have a computer at the home. And if we did have a computer at home, it would be in the living room. But then we got lazy, got a laptop, the kid took it into the into the bedroom, and now our kids are struggling with a serious problem. I don't know how many times I heard a man of God say, you know, I was doing so well, years, just doing well. All of a sudden, a moment of weakness, I was outside of accountability. I opened up something, and it brought me right back, as if I never left it. The question is not whether you live among wickedness. It's how much wickedness is just a click away in your home. There are reservations that are God-given. They're reservations of the Holy Spirit. When we choose to ignore those reservations, those compromises will lead to strongholds. Abraham intercedes or intervenes for Lot, saves Lot. And Abraham says this crazy thing to the king. How many of you think that the king of Sodom was offended by the way Abraham responded? I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything. I don't... I don't even want to have a, a string on your, on your sneakers. I don't even want to touch it. Right? I made a covenant with God. Wow. He's making a distinction between righteousness and unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but why didn't Lot take his cue from there and say, I'm thinking it's time to put my tent somewhere else. Do you see that? It disturbs me. Lot leaves his land with Abram by faith in the promise God gives Abram. He ends up in a place he probably he knew that he shouldn't be at. He was captive because of the issue at Sodom. And after Abram responds to the king in such a strong way, Lot still stays there. He stays in the same place. Even though he sees Abraham, who's the reason why he's out there in the first place, even though he sees the way Abraham responds to him, he stays in the same place. 
compromise when you entertain compromise. And listen to this. When God intervenes in your life, in our lives, to save us from compromise, and we choose to live in it still, it develops some strongholds that are hard to walk away from. You see, that's what a stronghold is. It means that we have things that are holding us captive and are keeping us from leaving. Are you understanding that today? Lot stayed there. He should have gotten his cue from Abraham and he should have left, but he stayed there. If you read the story, it goes on that chapters later that God sends angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham hears about this from the Lord. And he says, Lord, wait a minute. What are you going to do? Are you going to really destroy everything? What if there are righteous people? And Abraham intercedes for Lot. And get this. There is no other account in the Bible that tells us that Lot was saved by any other reason other than Abraham's intercession. Are you with me? The only reason Lot was saved was because Abraham interceded. And let me tell you. I know this to be true today. Some of us, the only reason why we're here today is because we're like a skip disc on our grandmother's prayer list. Are you with me? Somebody just keeps praying and praying and praying and interceding and praying and praying and praying. We keep going through consequences of compromise and more consequences of compromise. But thank God for those people that pray for us and stand in the gap for us. Oftentimes we're, set for, we're, we're walking in a level of freedom and understanding and we have these windows of opportunities to repent because somebody continues to pray. Praise God for people to pray who pray. Praise God for you if you're praying and interceding for your family. Don't give, God, give up. God is able, amen? God is able. But on the same token, <laughs> don't be the one that's being held up by somebody's prayer life, by somebody's intercession. Are, are you with me today? Oh, you know, Pastor, I'm just here because Mama's just been praying for me. You know, I just thank God that she's been praying for me. God showed me favor all along, even though I keep messing up and I keep getting into all this trouble. I just thank God for my mama praying for me. Well, that's good to hear. Have you suffered a lot of consequences? <laughs> Pastor, you wouldn't believe him. Do you know that God doesn't want you to have to go through that all your life? It can't stop. You don't have to shipwreck your life to respond to the grace of God. Are you with me? We don't have to shipwreck our entire lives to respond to the grace of God. And I will say this, and I say this very humbly. It comes to a point that when we live in compromise and we're in that stronghold, if we don't respond to the windows of opportunities that God gives us, that the damage is irreparable. There's no fixing the damage. So I was like, Pastor, but God can restore. He can do miraculous things. He can. Yet there are things He chooses not to. Sometimes there's time that you can never get back. Are you with me? In the process, you ruin relationships that no matter how hard you try, you cannot fix. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I, look, I'm not trying to be a downer here. I'm just saying that sometimes we preach so much hope and so much grace, and that is all good. We have to continue to preach it. But the problem is, is that we don't have reverence for life and time, and we don't have reverence for each other, and we don't have reverence for our choices. And they have consequences. 
the Bible teaches us, just to continue on, that Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. You heard, it's, it's a crazy situation. The angel said, you got to get out of here. We're going to destroy this place. And Lot, even though he saw the angel of the Lord saying this was hesitant, he didn't want to leave. He had to be taken by the hand and let out by the angel. And by the way, he said, do not look back. Do not look back. Because the moment you look back, it's over, right? Remember what happened to his wife? She looked back. She looked back in unbelief, probably because all of their life and all their investment was in Sodom. And she was looking at it being completely destroyed. And she was paralyzed. She was made into a pillar of salt and it was over. Listen to me. All it takes for us who have been redeemed, who have been set free, who have been walking the walk of faith, all it takes is for us to just look back and one more time deceive ourselves with, it's not going to happen. Just one more time. Just one more. I can, I can be in this sin just one more time. Nothing's going to happen if I do it just one more time. It's not going to be that bad. I've done it before just one more time. Just one more time can be the total destruction of your relationship with God and the abandonment of God's destiny for you. Just one more time. Can I say that today? Can I say that today? Just one more time. I had a friend of mine, uh, still have a friend of mine. He said to me, Carlos, you know why I'm so intense? And people don't like me because I'm gung-ho and some people think I'm just too religious or whatever. It's because I'm on overtime. He really believed this. He was telling me this with tears. He says, if I turn back one more time, I know that I'm dead. I know that it's over. I don't have one more time. You know, the problem is most of us don't realize that we don't have one more time. We don't have one more time. We don't want the consequences of one more time. We don't know what may be waiting for us at one more time. And we don't know how it may paralyze us. Listen, we don't have one more time. We don't. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Listen, this path may be hard. It may be filled with some tough places. But what Jesus is going to give you at the end of that road, my friends, is going to be better than anything this world can offer you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's going to do miraculous things with your marriage. He's going to do miraculous things with your finances. He's going to do miraculous things with your walk. Keep your eyes on him. Let your testimony be this. I don't have one more time. I'm sold out all the way. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Mm. Praise God. Praise God. When I was a probation officer, I had a young man by the age of 14 on my do- on, as a probationer that I, that I was to attend to. He was doing so well that I decided to take him off the ankle monitor. He said to himself, just one more time. I'm going to be out there in the streets just one more time. Ended up killing an officer and ended up now at the age of 15 starting a life sentence. Just one more time. Ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time killed a detective 
20 years to life. Don't know how many people have made sexual decisions saying just one more time, nothing's going to happen. And more than nothing happened. Don't know how many times I've heard people say, I just said one more time looking at pornography. Nothing's going to happen. And something more than nothing happened. Just one more time. You see, God loves you too much. God loves you too much to see your life being wasted, to see your choice leading you to destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right to the flesh. But my brothers and my sisters, it leads to death and to destruction. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head with me today? Maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I realize that I don't have a habit of seeking the Lord for my decisions. I just kind of go with the flow. But I haven't been in the habit of seeking the Lord for my daily decisions. And I want to make a commitment to seek the Lord, to say, Lord, show me the way today, every morning. To say, Lord, show me your way and teach me to follow. That's all it is. Simple, as simple as that, just being willing to say, Lord, show me the way and teach me to follow. If that's you today and you're saying, I want to develop habits of seeking the Lord in my life every day, would you raise your hand right where you're at? But you know that that's the problem. That's a major problem. It's keeping you from developing a stronger relationship with God. You're saying, I want to develop a, a habit of seeking the Lord. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Hallelujah. Father, right now I pray for your people, God, and I pray in the name of Jesus for the power of your Holy Spirit right now to come over their lives. They're saying, I want to develop a habit of inquiring the Lord. I want to recognize the Lord when He's moving. I want to recognize the Lord when He's speaking. I want to recognize the Lord when He's saying things to me that will change my life and the destiny of those who are a part of my family. I want to listen. I want to hear and I want to connect with Him. I want to be a person depending on His leading. Yes, God. Yes, God. Father, I thank You right now that You listen to their prayers and You see the brokenheartedness, God, and uh, their broken hearts, God, for You. And Lord, I thank you, God, that they're not hardened, but instead they're humbly saying, we declare our dependence. Bless them, Father. Lead them. Show them to be about your word, to be about prayer, and to trust you in every decision. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I realize that um, going by appearances, I have I have a uh, there's been compromise in my life and uh, that compromise has led to some strongholds in my life. There are strongholds in my life. I want to walk away from them. They're hard to break. I continue to go back to them. I need freedom over those strongholds today. I don't want to go back. I don't want to return to that place. I want to tell you today that I believe that Jesus is here and he came to set the captives free. I prepared this message and have prayed believing that today those who are under strongholds are going to be set free because Jesus sets the captives free. If that's you today, I want you to do something bold in faith. In faith. You're saying there are some strongholds I want to hand over to the Lord this morning. I don't want to go back to that place. If that's you, would you come and join me at the altar right now? Would you join me at the altar right now? You're saying, Lord, 
I'm letting go of these strongholds. Oh, I know this is a hard stronghold. Let me tell you, I was before a congregation of 1,200 people. And the pastor said, is there someone here who has a stronghold? And he detailed a stronghold of, of lust and pornography and addictive behavior. And I was at that seat and I said to myself, I can't live here like this anymore. And I was one of two people out of 1,200 to respond to the altar call. But I've been free since. And I wouldn't take that back. I don't know what it is that may be whatever that stronghold may be, but you're saying it's over. I want it to be over today. Would you take a step of faith and join me at the altar today and say, I don't want this stronghold anymore. I'm trusting the Lord to set me free this morning from this thing. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for your freedom, my altar workers. Altar workers, would you come and help me pray? Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I recognize today, and this is very serious, that I'm past compromise. I'm at the point where I feel spiritually dead. I don't have the joy of the Lord. I don't have the peace of the Lord. I haven't heard from the Lord in so many years. And I feel disconnected. To pray for me. I miss the life of God in me. I miss the joy of God in me. To pray for me. Is there still hope for me? There's hope. There's hope. There's living hope. And Jesus is calling us to awake to resurrection power. That's you today. Would you come to the altar right now? Let's pray. That's you today. You're saying, you know, I realize today that spiritually I am far from the joy God's called me to be. I realize that I'm spiritually out of place where I'm in a coma per, per se. I know what's good. I know what's right. But I don't feel the life of God in me. Would you pray for me? Would you come to the altar today? To come to the I believe God for great things this morning. To come to the altar today. Amen. We're going to be praying up here. God bless you. May His grace be with you. May His face shine upon you. Let your life be lived in the presence of God. Inquire of God in everything. Amen. And may His presence lead you and bless you in all things. God bless you. Amen. Have a good day. Amen. We're going to be praying here at the altar. You're welcome to stay and hang out and talk. We're going to be praying. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord.